0: you want to turn in your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1. It's also going to be on the sheets that I provided with the scriptures on them. The title of today's message is Be a Man. It's going to be kind of a Father's Day message. I'm going to be giving some practical tools that we need to men, especially the men, to develop or redevelop in these days. But this isn't just for the man. Ladies, you're going to have a lot of good stuff in here too. And we're going to focus on three things this morning that, ladies, you can be encouraging in your guy even. Uh, develop in their own life, and if you don't have a guy yet, you should be looking for these things in anyone you might want to get close to. Also, sooner or later, you're probably going to be involved in the raising or at least mentoring of a boy who is struggling to become a man. So this lesson is for you as well. I'm going to go into some background to our central scripture this morning. The stage is that Joshua is getting ready to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. Moses has just died. They're at the border right now getting ready to invade. And Joshua goes and seeks the Lord. And if you don't remember who he is, he was Moses' closest friend and his servant for over 40 years. Uh, During the time that the nation of Israel was wandering in the wilderness, Joshua got to see from Moses firsthand what intimacy with God looks like. He got to see Moses at his highest. He got to see him at his lowest. He got to see him during his victories. He got to see him during his mistakes. And this served him well because he was getting ready to take 6 million plus people into the promised land called Canaan. He got ready to go take on the most ferocious and powerful nations in their world at that time. And these nations, when grouped together, were called the Canaanites. And even though the Canaanites consisted of several different kingdoms and tribes and nations, they all had very similar lifestyles, very similar worship practices, and very similar cultures. These cultures included rampant sin particularly sexual sin and worship to their pagan gods. This included prostitution, homosexual sin, pedophilia, and what today we'd call swinging, just having just all kinds of stuff going on that, that I don't even want to talk about from the pulpit. All this was t- part of worshiping false deities. These false deities would then demand human sacrifices that included the children that were born from their sexual sin. In fact, much of this kind of sin, it was going on in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah when God dropped the hammer on them. Those cities got to experience firsthand the direct wrath of God in form of fire and brimstone falling from the sky. That's a spiritual condition of Canaan when Joshua is going to lead Israel to its borders. That's the background of what Canaan was like before you think that God was too harsh in his judgment against them. God told Israel to wipe all of them out. Everything, man, woman, child, even the livestock and family dog were to be slaughtered. But God wasn't being mean to him. He just didn't have a knee-jerk reaction. He gave them 400 years plus almost 500 years, to repent and turn from their sins. But they refused. And now his judgment was going to fall, and the nation of Israel was going to be the tool that God used to judge them. God told them all about what was going to happen in Genesis 15. God gave the Abrahamic covenant. God told Abraham what was going to happen to his descendants over the next 500 years or so. That the Amorites, which were one of the huge tribes in Canaan during that time, was going to be conquered by his offspring. And on the piece of paper with the verses on it that I gave you, you can read it for later, it's in Genesis chapter 15. But this is what Joshua was facing. Not only did he have charge over 6 million people, But he had to wage a military campaign over uneven and even mountainous terrain against heavily fortified cities filled with battle-hardened forces. When these people weren't subjugating other people, they were fighting amongst themselves. These were trained soldiers and fighters that existed in these cities. Joshua, on the other hand, what did he have? The offspring of former slaves. He didn't have any Delta Force. He didn't have the Navy SEALs. He didn't have the Marine Corps, the Green Berets. It was them and God against the worst pagan evil that existed during their time. Some of that, what I was talking about earlier, sounds familiar. Some of us feel like we're experiencing that kind of evil in our country today. So we can understand a little bit how Joshua was feeling when he was getting ready to go against that onslaught and, and take that over and, and conquer that for God. Let's read about it in Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 1. After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon to the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea to the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Verse 6, Now be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left wherever you go. And Father, I ask, Lord, that you take these words this morning, Lord, and just light a fire among all your people, but particularly the men. Father God, it is high time for the men in the church to return to a biblical manhood, to shed aside the lies of what this world would say a man needs to be like and actually come to grips with what the Bible says a man of God looks like. Lord God, I ask, Father, that, that you use this message for that purpose. And I ask this in your name. Amen. So for a moment, I'm going to speak directly to the men here and the men who might be listening by podcast. It's not going to be easy Identify as a Christian much longer. We see the onslaught that is coming against us. We see what the enemy is trying to do. As a matter of fact, soon I think it will be considered by many to be a liability. The evil in our society has weakened what it means to be a man, it has twisted it, it has turned it into a caricature of what it's supposed to be and called it toxic. And for sure, we know that men have abused their privilege of being the stronger sex in the past. But what much of our world calls toxic masculinity is simply manhood. There's a big and noticeable difference between the genders, and if you can't acknowledge that, then you've bought the lie the world's trying to tell you. This is part of God's created order. And we have to acknowledge that because when we believe it, we'll live in such a way that we are in tune with God. And when we're in tune with God, we can enjoy the most safety, the most prosperity, and the most complete relationship with God that we can possibly have. And I'm not talking about the subjugation of wi- or mistreating of women. I hate that. If you want to see something that makes your pastor almost homicidally mad, Strike a woman in my presence. It's not going to go well for you. It enrages me when women come into the ER and I have to deal with that. I'm not talking about making women second-class citizens. That's not biblical. We are joint heirs of Jesus Christ. I'm simply saying that men need to rise up and become men again. And This morning I'm going to give you three quick tools that will help you on that journey. And the first one that we see is seek a mentor. Remember, I said in the beginning, Joshua served Moses for 40 years. 40 years he was mentored by God's man. He had a first front row seat to some of the most fantastic miracles seen in the Bible. But he also had a front row seat to some of the biggest mistakes of Moses recorded in the Bible. One of the true things about biblical manhood that is missing in the church is the handing of that baton from one generation to the next. As a church of Jesus Christ, I think we failed in this area, especially over the last 40 or 50 years, which is why we have such weak men now. We allowed the enemy to destroy the family, or we allowed the enemy to rip out the father figure from the home. And now we're reaping what we've sown. Since we've took upon ourselves a world's definition of what it means to be a man, it's led to the destruction of many churches, and because of that, the families within those churches have crumbled as well. We need the godly men of the church to rise up again to be willing to take the younger men of the church or the new Christians under their wing. And by the way, ladies, this same principle applies to the young women in the church. They need mentorship too because the world has destroyed what the, the image of God in women just as much as it's destroyed the image of God in man. My grandfather was my first mentor. He was a good Lutheran man who made sure that I learned not only the necessary things to become simply an adult, but to try to be a man of honor and a man of my word. Even if I ran from those teachings in my youth, I started to learn them again, and his words resonated in my heart even after he died. After my grandfather came many Christian men in my first church who came alongside me. They'd come and they'd say, hey John, what are you doing? Want to go out to lunch? Want to come meet some, you know, come to breakfast with a bunch of Christian men, just hang out, you know, just see how they followed Christ and learn about being a man after God's own heart. After that, we went to prayer house and God provided me with a spiritual father and and Pastor Ron Ock. And I found during my prayer time, during this, this formative time in my Christian life, I found that God takes you through different levels with different mentors. And the principle I found is that when you are ready to learn, God will send you the teacher. He'll send you the mentor. If you wonder why you're not growing in your life, you have to ask yourself, is your heart ready to learn? Is your heart in the right place to hear the words of a mentor and to, that will help shape you into what God is going to do in your life next? Always be on the lookout for God's hand moving in your life. Because through others mentoring you, you will grow in God and in humility. But you need to be humble enough to accept it. There you will learn things like godly servant leadership. You'll learn about sacrifice for the kingdom. You'll learn about honesty. You'll learn about integrity. I learned these lessons from my mentors, and then the Bible reinforced many of them in my life. But I also know that there were times in my life where my heart wasn't ready for those lessons. I had to be humble enough to receive them. So I would encourage you as well. Seek God. Let him soften your heart so that you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit talking to you and teaching you Life circumstances. The second way and second thing we need to develop is to gain like-minded friends. But in the end, don't be afraid if you have to stand alone for righteousness for God. In Numbers chapter thirteen and fourteen, it tells the story of a group of men. I don't know if you realize this, but they the nation of Israel was not supposed to wander in the desert for forty years. They went down south to Sinai and then they're going to go right to the promised land. That was Plan A. And they started doing that. They got to the promised, right to the border of that promised land. Moses sent out spies. And one of those spies was Joshua and his friend Caleb. The spies went out, they did their jobs. For 40 days, they walked through the land of Canaan and they scouted out, scouted it out. They saw the abundant cropland. But they also saw the fortification of the cities and the size of the army and they came back and they gave a report. And initially everyone else in that group said there's no way we can take that land. There is no way. They reported that the armies of Canaan were too big, their cities too fortified, and most of their men were built like the Nephilim, which meant that their men were built like Goliath, like seven feet tall. 400 pounds, literally able to lift telephone poles like the big Icelandic strongmen that you see. Those giants of men that we even have today. However, Caleb and then Joshua told people that the same God who brought them out of Egypt, the same God that parted an ocean in front of them would help them defeat every single person in that promised land. But imagine standing in front of the leadership of six million people, all telling you you're wrong, all trying to shout you down, all trying to get you to shut up, telling you you're crazy, you're backwards, you're going to get us all killed, you're nuts. Why don't you just go along with the crowd? That's exactly what Joshua had to experience there when he was a young man. Just go with the crowd conform Joshua listen to your elders listen to what we have to say listen to those who say they're smarter than you are my brothers and sisters in Christ i ask you again does this sound familiar does this sound what we sound like what we hear from the media today just accept the science just accept what we're telling you is true is this something we're all experiencing in our own lives. Some of you could testify right now this is exactly how you feel when you're at work or you're at school or just simply out in the community. But this is also why you need like-minded friends in your life. By the way, this is why Jesus left the tr- and founded the church. So you would have your tribe to fall back on When everyone out there in the world turns against you. When the entire world is telling you what to believe and how to live and even what you can say and not say, you need someone to stand with you against that crowd. But either way, even if it's just you and you alone... Even if all 8 billion people on this planet, every life form that that flies and crawls and walks all come against you at once, if you are standing with God, you are the majority. Men, in order to survive and thrive in the coming days, this is the mindset you're going to need to have. Our tribe and our God seeming the facing the seemingly overwhelming forces of evil that are coming against us. We are the majority because we are on the side of God. We need to learn that spiritual attribute of bravery against, of courage, of trusting in God. This is probably going to speak mostly to the men right now. But there's an oath I came across when I was studying for this message that was attributed to the Crusader Knights. And this is the kind of thing that 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 gets my it stokes my emotional fires. The thought of honor and duty. If you saw the movie The Kingdom of Heaven, it was kind of quoted in there. But their oath that they would have to take to become a knight goes like this Be without fear in the face of your enemy. Be brave and upright that God may love thee. Speak the truth always, even if it leads to your death. Safeguard the helpless and do no wrong. That is your oath. And they would punctuate that oath with a backhand, a steel gauntlet across the mouth, so you would not forget your oath. Men, we need to let God Build within us that sense of duty, that sense of dedication for his word, that sense of dedication for his mission plan, that sense of dedication that his will be done on this earth so that we can stand in these last days. The third and last thing we need to do to be godly men in these days is simply to remember God's promises. If you go back to the original verses that we read, you see several promises. One, he said, I will give you every place where you set your foot. Man, if you set your foot and take a stand for God, he's going to honor that. Now, it could could bring earthly consequences. It could get you canceled. But it also could change someone's eternal destiny. If God's people learn to take some stands with love and humility, I'm not talking about standing out there with picket signs. I'm not talking about trying to shout down the other side. I'm talking about showing them mercy and love as sinners that need to be saved, just as we are. The second promise. God said to Joshua, and he's saying to us today, even if As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Again, even if you're the only one standing against the evil, if you're standing on God's biblical principle, you're the majority. You're the majority. And you will win because Jesus has already won. He'll never leave you or forsake you. I've mentioned this this quote from Oswald Chambers in the past, and I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit to make it understandable because Oswald Chambers uses very formal and, and theological language. Oswald Chambers, former, he was the chaplain of the Senate for decades. He said, when your obedience to God becomes the most important thing in your life, if it takes God to destroy entire stars and strip bare every resource on every remote planet, if that's what it takes to bring his power to bear against your problems, he's more than willing to do that. That's how much he loves you. Think about that. There's a distant star out there that he'll just say, I need that power. I want to bring it to to help you out right now. That's exactly what he's willing to do for, for you right now if you walk with him, if you trust him, if you stand with him. I know this because he sent the most valuable thing in existence to a cross to save you from your sins. That cross behind me that cross we wear on our neck, that cross that we see even out there on the hill that's lit up during Easter, that's to remind us that God will strip bare all of existence and bring it to your, to bring it to your feet in essence if that's what you need to stand with him. What else does he do to prove his love and faithfulness when he's already given us his son? The third promise he gives us is he he tells us, do not let this book of law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Do you ever wonder how people in the Old Testament, New Testament, whoever, you were so courageous and so faithful, even when faced with challenges that's that were so overwhelming to the human eye that they were possible, impossible to overcome. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looking down into the furnace, they are Daniel looking into the mouth of a hungry lion. All the martyrs in the Colosseum looking at animals and gladiators that ready to tear them apart. How were they able to overcome all of that? Because they believed this book was true. They believed God's word was true. They believed it and incorporated and let it fill their hearts, their minds, and their spirits. That they knew that no matter what happened to them, the last breath they took upon this earth, they would take the next breath in heaven. They were positive and knew that. It was their food, it was their hope, it was their truth. And that is how they could be strong and courageous. Simply because they believed God's word is true. I leave you with one final verse this morning. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Greek word for conforming speaks of clay being molded by a potter. As a table spins, a potter puts pressure on the clay to shape it, into whatever shape they want. And spiritually, all of us are clay as we live in this world. We're all being molded by something or someone. And if it's not God's hands that are shaping you, then the world will apply pressure and they will shape you in their image. It's that simple. Men, Whose hands are applying pressure to you right now? Is it God? Or is it the world and its demons who are trying to drag you down to hell with them? We just read that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I said right after worship that, the, that God is calling out to his people become people of the Spirit again and become soft and malleable in his hands. God's Holy Spirit wants to soften you. Even after the world's heat has hardened many parts of your hearts, his Holy Spirit can come in and soften and renew all of those places. Jesus promised that living water will flow through us. And it will soften us so that the Father's hand can mold us and shape us into men and women of honor that reflect him. And one of the ways that we do it is we become men and women of this word. As Christian soldiers, this book is your sword. It is your nourishment. It is your protection. And it is our standard of faith and conduct.